Matthew chapter 6, we're going to be in verses 16 through 34. Uh, this is going to be a long sermon. So as, as we're going through it, there'll be a moment where you think, man, he's almost done. I'm just warming up. Okay. We got rid of that third service. We can have 90 minute services and just settle in, man. Seriously. Like, I don't know why people, people get so upset when a church service goes long. I mean, Jesus hung on the cross and you can't sit for 90 minutes. I mean, literally. You know, it's funny when I preached in Africa, they get mad at you if you don't go long. They're like, we got up and we walked an hour to church and you're going to waste our time by only having a short service. They want, and it's the truth. It's the truth, man. Not Americans. Americans are like, can we just do it in like 20 minutes? All right. Matthew chapter six. Moreover, no. Yeah. Where am I starting? 16. See, I start banging on you guys already. I even got to the scripture. Matthew chapter six. Verse 60, moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance. For they disfigure their faces that may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. So you do not appear to men to be fasting, but your father who is in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where the thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is there, your heart will be also the lamp is the eye, excuse me, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life or what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about, nor about your body or what you will put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about the clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek for your heavenly father knows that you need all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. The title of today's message is, Don't Be a Worry Wart. Now, how many of you heard that term before when you were a kid? Don't be a worry worm or a worry wart. Uh, people would say that a lot. Um, the, the world that we currently live in has become more complex than I've seen in my entire life. There is... Definitely a lot of things to worry about. And if you were a worrier before 2020, you are probably in overdrive now because there's a whole lot of things that you didn't worry about before that now you are probably worrying about. There's a lot to focus on. And, and I will tell you as a, as a man, and if you knew the intricacies of my heart, 
I actually lean a lot more towards worrying than not worrying. And I, and, and some people might find that surprising. They say, man, I really do. You don't seem like a guy that's worried because I don't, uh, externalize it. I internalize it. I, and I've just kind of been that way. I had a, I had a penchant for worrying as a child. I worried about things like the killer bees and nuclear bombs and those type of things as a kid. And, and so I'm, I'm more of a warrior than not a warrior, but I will tell you that I've grown a lot in the last 10 years. And I've grown a lot in the last year. I really have. Um, I've actually worried less in the last year than someone uh, would expect me to, or even I would expect of myself. If I was going to look at Matt Gratunas and see what he was going to go through in 2020, I'm like, man, that guy's going to have a go at this one. But then I look back at him over 2020. I'm like, man, you did a pretty good job, Matt. Like you didn't, you didn't worry nearly as, nearly as much as I would have expected you to. And so to me, I say, man, praise God. I, I, I grew in that in my life. Um, and I don't know what you worry about. We all have different worries. I I, I worry a lot about the church. I really do. And I've been that way for the last 17 years because I love this church and I love you guys. And so I worry about you and I worry about your lives and your marriages and your relationships and your jobs and all those things. But I also worry about my leadership. If I'm being a good leader or I worry about people's perceptions of me, I worry about my kids and my wife and my career and my future Normal stuff, right? I mean, whether I have enough buckets of food and ammo and heat-seeking incendiary rounds. I mean, all the same stuff that you guys worry about. My only one is alone. All right, thanks. Like two of you are like, man, well, we got you. Everybody else is like, man, why am I even here? I don't even worry at all. But here's what I've noticed in my walk is that the more I seek after God, the less I worry about stuff. The more I focus on him and others, the less I focus on myself and the less worry that I have. When I remind myself of God's faithfulness to see what he's brought me through, I worry less because I know that God has seen me through. He's never failed and he won't start now. I titled this this message, Don't Be a Worry Wart. And and, uh, it's an old wives tale that says, when you worry, it grows warts. Have you guys ever heard this before? And, And I will tell you categorically, that's not true. But I will tell you that warts left to themselves do grow. I used to be a very warty child as well. I, I've, I, and I've, I currently don't have any warts. Don't, you can still say hi and touch me. But like I, I've, 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 I've dealt with warts in my life. And I mean, so bad in junior high, I never took off my jacket because they were covered in my arms and kids and make fun of me. And, and so like, I know that like, if you don't get rid of warts, they just grow. So you got to get them. Little side note, you don't need to go to the doctor. Just get a hot piece of metal, put it over the oven get yourself. It'll kill every single wart that you have. That's, that's a freebie. Um, um, the, the point is not about my wart treatment devices. The point is, is that warts left to themselves grow and worry left to itself does not get better. It grows. You got to get a hold of this worry thing. You really, really do. Jesus said in uh, verse 27, which of you of worrying can add one cubit to his stature? Uh, some, some of the translations say who can add an hour to his life by worrying. The answer is none. Now I'm going to tell you the end of the sermon before we get through it. You're just going to have to sit through the whole entire thing. So I'll tell you, it's like one of those movies where they show you how the movie ends before you get to it. This is how you don't worry. You seek after God. Just period. Just seek after God. If you seek after God and his righteousness, all these things will be added unto you. That, that's the end of it. But Jesus gives us a, a walking path to get to this point. And, and the walking path is very easy that Jesus says. Is he says, you know what? If you would serve others, if you would pray, if you would fast, if you would restore your treasures in heaven, if you would look at the right things and you don't serve two masters and you don't worry and you seek after me and you get your heart right, you're not going to be a person that worries. 
And so if you're a worrying person, this is going to teach you how to not worry. If you aren't a worrying person, this is going to teach you how to teach other people to not worry, but also catch yourself if you begin to give yourself over to worry, to not worry. Would you guys help me out a little bit? Who here has ever worried in their life before? Okay, good. Making sure. Some of you didn't raise your hands. Write a book. We all want to read it, how you got there, but the rest of us are going to listen to the sermon. So how do you not, why do you worry? I'll tell you why you worry. You worry because you don't serve others. You worry because you don't serve others. Now I'm going to jump back into Matthew chapter six a little bit because we talked about it last week, but um, it, it all kind of goes together. So we're going to reach back into last week for just a minute. In verse two, it says, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do. And then Jesus uh, couples up with uh, serving and prayer and fasting. He, he has these two statements that he goes together where he says, if you do these things as the hypocrites do, it's bad, which is publicly. He says, do these things privately. And then he couples it with, but God will reward you openly. So those two statements go together as we're walking through this. We'll get to that. So just, I want to throw that in there. That's a, this is a theme though, throughout this. Don't be a hypocrite. God will reward you openly. Now, like many points in Jesus's sermon, the, the precursor to do not worry is to get your heart right in serving others. And we talked about last week, but you can't hear it enough because we as Christians are supposed to be serving type people is that Jesus said, if you're going to serve, don't do it publicly, do it privately. And what you do in private, Jesus will reward you openly. And, but then he goes on to say through this whole entire sermon that that's connected to your worrying. At the end of this uh, portion of scripture in verse 25, he says, therefore I say to you that therefore I say to you is directly connected to everything he said before that. So he says, therefore, I say to you, do not worry. But he starts that with the beginning of teaching you how to be able to serve people correctly to be able to receive rewards from Jesus. He says, if you will serve others, you will worry less. He says, look for ways to serve people privately. Look for ways to serve people. And, and I'll tell you, everybody in here that attends this church needs to be serving at this church because we're all in this together. And so everybody needs to be able to serve. But that's not enough. Jesus didn't say just serve the body. He said you have to serve outside the body. There's people you live near and people at work and people that you see in the community, people that for no other reason you just go and you serve them because God has called you to be a person of service. And you don't do it publicly, you do it privately. And Jesus promises and says that these things will be uh, added unto you and that God will reward you openly. In Luke chapter six, verse 38, it says, given, it'll be given to you, pressed down, shaken and overflowing with God caused men to give into your bosom. And a lot of times people want to use that scripture to be able to talk about getting more uh, like money and those, those types of things. But it's so much more than that. Money is such a limiting idea. It's more than that. If you give service, you will get service. If you give love, you will get love. And so uh, having this idea of, okay, I just need to be a giving person. I just need to be a person that serves other people. And here's what you will find is that giving people who serve worry less. And here, here's what they realize when they're helping other people. They, they realize that you actually forget what you've been worrying about. When you begin to just make your life about serving others, all of a sudden you're helping somebody out in some way. And whether it's a physical task or a mental task or a spiritual task, you just step outside of yourself and you kind of just forget. You just go serve somebody. And at the end of the day, you're like, what was I even worried about? I don't know. I was, I was off serving somebody else. And what happens too, when you serve somebody else is that you get perspective because then you realize that you're not alone in this world. You realize that every single one of us has problems, man. 
You're not, you are not exceptional. You're not the only one with problems and doubts and fears and worries and all these other things. So when you go and you serve somebody else, it gives you uh, perspective, but then you also get broken of your selfish desires. Much of our worrying is directly connected to our selfish desires. It's not connected to other people. It's how we're going to feel, how we're going to think, how we're going to be perceived, all those other things. Now, let me say this. It's not only the destitute that need to be served. For whatever reason, this Christian idea of like, okay, we got to go to the guy that's a leper that doesn't have any arms or legs and doesn't have any eyes or ears or mouth. And then, you know, he lives on the corner. Everybody comes by and kicks him. Like, that's the guy we have to serve. We have to serve that guy, but we also have to serve everybody else. Just because somebody seemingly looks uh, successful in the world's eyes doesn't mean that they don't need to be served. Oftentimes, the people that are the most put together have done that as a barrier to everybody else because they don't want anybody else to come into their lives. They don't want to actually be in a position of having to be served, and so they set their lives up. And so when you go and you serve those people, it breaks them of their pride, and then you're able to share the gospel with them. So don't think that when I say serve, that you just have to find broken people, find everybody, because they're all broken. They're all broken. Everybody needs to be served. They need your time. They need your love. They need your emotions. Just need to make it not about you for a day, man, whatever that may look like. And sometimes it's sitting and talking with them or stopping when you're in a rush and just giving somebody a few moments of your time, or maybe it's giving somebody a gift or helping them out with some part of their life. Proverbs eleven twenty five. letting them talk. Proverbs eleven twenty five. the generous soul will be made rich. And people always get caught up with rich and thinking that it's money. It's so much more than money. And he who waters will also be watered himself. It's funny. If you ever feel discouraged, go and find people to encourage. And then all of a sudden you're like, man, I feel kind of good. You just walk around and water other people. And then you get watered yourself. You, you got what you needed by giving it to somebody else. Mark 9, 35, if anyone desires to be first, he must be last and a servant of all. And so you've got to be look, excuse me, you've got to be looking for ways to serve others and you'll worry less. And this is outlined in Matthew 20, 28 and 1 Peter 4, 10 and many other, many other places. So the first part of this sermon is that, is that if you are worrying, it is probably because you're not serving. Serve more, worry less. Second point, you worry when you don't pray. Verse five, and when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. Jesus says it again. When you pray, don't be like hypocrites. Don't do it openly, do it privately. And then you do it privately and then God will reward you openly. The th- and, and what are the things that we worry about? Because most of us worry about the same things. Am I going to be able to eat? Am I going to have a safe place to live? Am, am I going to be able to buy clothes? Am I going li- to, am I going to be alive? Like, uh, are, are these not the things that you guys worry about? I don't, I don't know why I say these things as like a general sense of what people worry about. And you guys are just like, you sad, sad man. Like, <laughs> I, we don't worry about anything, pastor, but keep talking about it because I think you're getting something out of this sermon. <laughs> these are the things, man. Like, I, I, sometimes I feel like my life is a magic trick. Like, somehow it's just like one day God's going to be like, whoa, hold on, you're in the wrong light. We're going to take everything away from you. You're Job now. We're taking it all. And nobody else ever feel that way? It's a lie from the pit of hell, man. He's never failed and he won't start now, but Satan likes to use that stuff against us. I mean, if you, if you didn't work, most of us probably had some sort of worry over the last year. I mean, every debilitating disease or like, oh, I'm going to die or stacking bodies and no toilet paper. And you know what I mean? Like all those things. Yeah. Just us. Right. I mean, things were so bad. I was praying for single ply. You know what I'm saying? So, 
Look at God. Single ply. You know what I mean? Luke 18, 1, and then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Jesus, Jesus says, when you don't pray, you lose heart. If you don't live a life of prayer, you're going to lose heart. You're going you're gonna to lose the sense of faith of believing that God is your provider, believing that God will take care of you. He's never failed and he won't start now. You're clothed now, you're fed now, you're, you're, you're living life now, but you, you think about the future and you get afraid because you're so afraid because you're not praying about it. I want to encourage you to pray more. People say, well, pastor, how much should I pray more? Just pray more. First Thessalonians five seventeen. pray without ceasing. Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Ephesians 6, 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. As many of you know, I was stationed in Egypt for a year um, from uh, in 2001, 2002. And um, when, when I went on deployments, like I went on deployments with places where people died. Like my brother, he was in the Air Force and, you know, in the Air Force, like, you go on deployments, you don't take your civilian clothes, and you're hanging out on a beach in Cyprus. That was my brother's types of deployments in the Air Force. Yeah, I said it, Air Force, Chair Force. Um, so I go to, uh, you guys are in the middle, you're not in the Coast Guard, you know what I mean? Like you're, there's this type of there. You know, what you guys don't understand is the military, there's a stack rank, man. It goes like Coast Guard, Air Force, Navy, Army. And then the Marines think they're here, but they're a bunch of crayon eaters and they're down here. But that's just kind of how it works. And so uh, let me get back to my point. My point is this. Is so I go to, I go to Egypt and um, uh, I, there's a North camp and there's a South camp. And they're like seven hours away by bus. And then, uh, or you can take a helicopter. Now at that time, uh, the, the U.S. Army had the, the Huey helicopter, and I don't know if you guys know what that is, but a Huey helicopter is like a Vietnam-era helicopter. The Army got rid of all of their Hueys on the whole entire planet except for two places, West, West Point, uh, U.S. Uh, Military Academy at West Point, so they can use them for like parades and stuff, and then in Egypt. And, and they, don't, they weren't using them anywhere else because they were unsafe and everything else, but they're like, you guys will be good. You're out in the middle of Egypt. You guys don't get Blackhawks. You get Hueys. And so you had a choice. If you had to go from North to South Camp, either got on a bus that was driven by an Egyptian guy that would literally show up. And you know how a bus has like eight tires in the back and two in the front and it's got 10 tires and you'd show up and like one of the tires would be flat in the back. And then be like, oh, we can't use this bus today. And he's like, my friend, there's eight other tires. Like, <laughs> like one is flat, bro. He's like, my friend, no problem. Like nine other tires. We would be okay. And then you, you'd just be driving down these roads and, and well, while I was there, all joking aside, like people literally died on these roads while I was there. And then these roads have sand and the sand blows over and there's landmines in the sand. And so, you know, all these things and you're riding this bus and their drivers are supposed to go around the sand. There's like through the sand and you're just like, oh my gosh, man, man. And so when you're living like for like seven hours in a, in a bus in the middle of nowhere with some guy driving it, you're just like, okay, choose your death, either from the plane or, or, or from the helicopter or on the bus. And I just like put my faith and trust in the Egyptian guy driving the bus. And I figured, well, let's have some really good prayer time. And, and honestly, like I was unbelievably afraid when I would get on these buses. I really was. It wasn't like just I'm like, oh, you're kind of afraid. Like I literally feared death during these times. You see people die. You think I'm going to die. And you're just like, this is no good. And so what I did is I literally for the seven hour bus ride, I would just pray the whole entire time. I would pray. I would quote scripture. I would uh, listen to Fred Hammond on my uh, Walkman. Like, 
like I would just press into God. And what I found is for at least for that seven hours, I wasn't worrying. I was just trusting God. Why do I share that story with you? Is that, you know, that's what our response to worry is supposed to be. You don't, you don't just say like, man, why am I worrying? I'm just going to chew my nails for this thing at time. It's like, dude, just go into prayer. So the whole entire time I just went into prayer, man. I don't like flying on planes either. I do a lot of praying when I'm on, on planes as well. I like ground. That's what I like. I like to just stay in the ground and I like to stay close to home. How much less would you worry if you prayed the Lord's prayer every single day? Yeah. I challenge you guys that this week. Did anybody else pray the Lord's prayer this week every day? I did. I'm praying it every day. Cause why? Cause Jesus said we should. He said, this is how we should pray. So I'm just going to do what Jesus said. How many things in your life would you have worried about less if you would have went to God in prayer about it? How many times you worry, 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 worry for days and weeks. And then all of a sudden you turn around like, gosh, man, I kind of missed a step on this. I should have prayed about it. And I'm not talking about like just some half-hearted, like, Lord, please have your way. Like I'm talking about on your knees before God on the side of your bed, like, God, do something here. I'm worried about this, God. I'm afraid control this situation, God. I'm worried that I'm not going to see my son. I'm worried that my wife isn't going to be there when I'm get back. I'm afraid that I'm not going to be able to be a pastor. I'm stuck on a bus and I'm going to die in the middle of Egypt. Like all these real things that you're afraid of and you talk to God about it and then you get to be able to hear his peace speak over your life. Here's another reason why you worry is that you worry because you don't fast. You don't fast. The Bible says in verse 16, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites. Father will reward you openly. He says that again. Here's what Jesus says. He says, private fasting before God will result in open rewards. Literally fulfillment of the things that you worry about. The the things that you worry about. And Jesus goes on. I mean, he says it earlier. He says, do not worry about your life. That's what you worry about, what you eat, what you will drink, about your body, what you're going to put on. These are the things that you worry about. And Jesus says, if you fast, these things will come to you and then you don't have to worry about them. Can, can, can we just take God at his word? Can we just believe that when Jesus said it, he said it for a reason that he didn't, he wasn't just saying this as a Sunday school lesson, but he actually wanted us to apply this to his life. Here's what's sad is that I've been serving God for over 30 years. And I know a bunch of people that claim to be Christians that have no exercise of Christian disciplines. They, they don't serve people. They don't pray. They don't read their Bibles and they don't fast. If you claim to be a Christian and you've never fasted, you are unbiblical and you're wrong. Je- Jesus said it very clearly. He said, when you fast, he didn't say, if you feel about it, you think about it. If the pastor preaches enough sermons to make you feel guilty about it. He says, this is a discipline of being a Christian. Christians are supposed to fast. And people say, oh, I don't understand this fasting thing. I probably need a class on it. It's real easy. Stop eating. <laughs> 24 hours. That's it. Because it's got to be 24 hours. Why? Because you know what? You, you not eating for an hour is not like, oh, I fasted for like an hour. Like I didn't. How is that? Like, and people say, well, when I don't eat, I, it, I get hungry. That's the point. Yeah. Oh, when I fast, I just can't think right and it hurts. Yes. That's what it's working. It's working. <laughs> I get angry and frustrated and I end up calling out to God. Yes, that's what it's supposed to do. Nobody's like, man, I love fasting. People are like, ugh, why do I got to fast? Why? Because Jesus said, because it breaks you of, of all these other parts of your life that you're controlled by. And many of us are just controlled by food. You know, it's funny in the morning we have break fast and some people are like, well, I broke the fast. I wasn't eating while I was sleeping. Like I broke the fast. You know what I mean? I'm talking about 24 hours of not eating. People, I've preached a lot of sermons on fasting 
Some as recently as a year ago, go and listen to them, but you don't have to listen to them. Let me save you some time. Just fast. Just like once a week. People say, what? Once a week? Yeah, man. It'll help your waistline and your pocketbook. It's great. It's fantastic. And you're like, I can't do it. Do it once a month. I can't do that. Can you do it once? Can you do it once? Can you go 20? If you've never gone 24 hours without food on purpose, you've never fasted. And how it works is the time when you're supposed to be eating, you go and you pray and you read your Bible and you clue into God, take your lunch break, you go out in your car and you read your Bible and you, you know, but you don't tell anybody because you say, well, you know, I'm sure everybody else is fasting. No, they're doing it right. You're not walking and be like, oh my gosh, I haven't eaten in six hours. I'm dying. That's not fasting. The people that are fasting around you aren't telling you because they're doing it. What you're seeing though is the open rewards of their life. And we're like, why does God love them more than he loves me? He doesn't love me. He's getting the open rewards. That's what he's trying to show you the secret. You just don't want to do what the Bible says. So man, there's got to be some more other secret. No. Joel 2.12, turn to me with all your heart with fasting. Psalm 69.10, when I wept and chastened my soul with fasting. That's what you're doing. You're chastening, you're disciplining, you're hurting your flesh. You're saying, flesh, you're not going to have any power over me. I'm hurting my flesh. Daniel uh, fasted for three weeks. Jesus fasted for 40 days. I mean, I'm not even telling you 40 days. What a gift. 24 hours. You can do the tricky fast that I do often. I, you know, don't eat at six o'clock PM until six o'clock PM the next time. And then when you eat, man, I'll tell you, man, hunger is the best spice. You get that meal at six o'clock, man, man, what is in this rice? Oh, is this, is this basmati? What? This is some special rice. What, what did you put on this chicken? best chicken I ever had. It's so good, man. I did. But, but, but you never fast and all of a sudden every meal has got to be an experience. What is this? Far better than this. Nehemiah 1 4 says when I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven, I've learned in my own life that fasting is usually my first response to calamity. Uh, some people eat when they're worried and I don't eat when I'm worried. I just stop eating. It's the first thing I do. I'm like, well, not eating today. Why? Because I'm going to tell my flesh, I'm not going to let it control me. I'm like, you want know flesh? I'm done with you. And it's like, feed me. I'm like, no, I'm going to bring you under subjection until you start acting right. I'm not going to feed you. Tell you who boss is. And what's interesting, if you learn to be a faster, if you learn to uh, fast on a regular basis, a lot of the other disciplines of your Christian life fall into place. All of a sudden you can say no to other things. All of a sudden you can control other areas of your life because if you can control the, the basic need for food, I mean, this is what we need to live, right? Then all of a sudden these other parts of your life are like, oh, wow, I can have discipline in another area just because I've chosen to not eat and focus in on God. Also, you worry when you lay up your treasures on earth instead of laying up on your treasures in heaven. Jesus says in verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Again, I want to make the connection. Everything that Jesus is saying, serving, praying, fasting, laying up your treasures on earth instead of laying up on your treasures in heaven is directly connected to worrying. And so if you're a worry wart, you can take an inventory and you should be asking yourself, am I serving people? Am I praying? Am I fasting? If you're not doing and and says, oh man, I'm so worried. Am I serving? Am I praying? Am I fasting? And where is my heart? 
Have I put too much love onto the things of this earth instead of laying up my treasures in heaven? Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. And that's all that stuff, food, clothing, all these other things where you're just like, oh my gosh, I've got to have this. If I don't have this, I don't know what I'm going to do in this life. Jesus is using these examples to say, don't worry about these things. But what's great about him is that simultaneously he says, but God will reward you with them. So don't even worry about them as well. And, it, and it's kind of like this double thing. It's like, all right, so don't look at it and then I get it and don't think about it and then I get it and then don't focus on it and I get it. And Jesus is like, yes, exactly. Seek first the kingdom of God is his righteousness. Don't lay up your treasures in, on earth. Lay them up in heaven. Think about heavenly things. Focus on the things of God. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is there your heart will be also. He says, where you, what you love shows where your heart is. Is your heart on this earth? Is it all wrapped up in, oh man, there wasn't any new movies that came out this year. And oh man, my amusement park isn't open. And, and man, I can't go to the roller rink. And man, we can't even eat out anymore. You're laying up your treasures on this earth, man. You, you're showing where your heart's at. Oh man, I, I, I don't have this car. I don't have this house. Or I don't have these types of clothes. But, man, I'm, I, I'm worried about this, whatever. And God's like, come on, man, Really? That's not a new heart condition. 2,000 years. Jesus said this 2,000 years ago. And maybe back then they're like, man, why can't I have a different ox? Why does that guy get that hut? Why can't I have that? Well, man, Johnson, man, he got a new rake. Why can't I get a new rake? The heart condition doesn't change. You worry and want for stuff that wasn't even invented 20 years ago. And all of a sudden I got to have this thing. Do you? Man, I wish every smartphone would just disappear. I wish we could go back to landlines. I want, I want, I want, I want landlines and the and the the pink piece of paper of while you were out. Where were you out? That's where I was. But now it's like, oh, I just gotta have to see. I just have to have this thing. And here's where Jesus makes the connection: is that your worrying comes because you think if I had the things of this world, I wouldn't worry. But it's not that, I mean, how many times, and, and, I, and I've done it before, you pray for a job because you want to make more money so you don't have to worry about whether or not you'll be able to pay your bills. So you pray for a new job, you get a new job, you get more money, you're able to pay your bills, but then you just worry about whether or not you're going to lose that job and still be able to pay your bills. Anybody else done that before? Oh, yeah. yeah. So the, the problem is not receiving the things of this world. The problem is, are you worrying? So if you don't get rid of the worry thing and you lay up for your treasures on on earth instead of heaven, you're just going to continue to worry and it's a vicious cycle. Hebrews 13, 5, let your conduct be without covetedness, be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. The Bible talks a lot about being content and, and, and contentment is killed when you covet with what other people have. And again, oftentimes you're coveting what other people have because they're living out the Christian disciplines as prescribed in the Bible. They're being rewarded openly, but because you're not walking that way, you assume that there must be some other trick, some devious plan because you're not walking in the same way that they're walking and not receiving the same things that they're getting. And again, God blesses people in different ways. The point is live the Christian discipline. 
disciplines, serve, pray, fast, lay up your heart in the right condition. Because what happens is people get stuff and then all of a sudden like, I don't even care. And you're just like, what? There's no way that you care because my covetous, evil, greedy heart can't believe that you would actually have that heart because my heart's in the wrong condition where people that have the right heart condition, like they don't even care about this stuff, man. It's like, whatever. I don't need it at all. When you lay up your treasures on this earth, you focus more on your personal wealth than anything else. You focus on material accumulation. You focus on worldly accolades. Uh, really, and, and, and a lot of times people talk about treasures and they use this as a tithing sermon. And this isn't a tithing sermon. Um, but, but part of the treasures of not thinking about the treasures of this earth is the opinions of men. It's receiving the world's uh, love and the world's like, oh man, bravo, you're so awesome. And say, you know what, man? I don't care about what you think about me. I care about what God thinks about me. I'm laying up my treasures in heaven. I'm not laying up my treasures on you. I don't care about what you think about me. I don't care about what you say about me. I care about what God thinks about me. I care about what God says about me. I'm not going to worship the opinions of men as an idol. First John 2, 15 and 16 says this. It says, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. I don't know how much clearer that could be. Verse 16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the father, but is of the world. Now, let me say this, man, because some of you will look at how dapper I'm dressed today and be like, man, and you're a hypocrite pastor. Am I? You know what? I bought this jacket on sale at JCPenney online for $29.99. Don't hate me because I can find the deals. You know what I'm saying? Because <laughs> here's the thing, man. Like I, I can I can spend money on you know a nice jacket and a $10 shirt and a pair of jeans and a sweet pair of shoes that my wife bought me for Christmas like five years ago that I just take good care of my stuff. And they're like, man, who's he talking to? They got a hypocrite wearing all that. Dude, if I came in in sweatpants and a tank top, be like, man, why doesn't that guy respect God? Like, can he dress better than that? Was he better than that? He wears flip-flops when he's preaching. You can't win for losing, man. But, but what I don't do is I don't walk into my closet on Sunday morning and be like, oh, thank you for these clothes, and they're so great. I literally stand before do these go together? Did I wear this last week? Like, it's not like... It's not a thing, man. If, if, if I could wear what I wanted to wear every single day, I'd wear sweats. I just figure people don't respect me as well. If I'm wearing sweats and I'm half shaven and I haven't bathed, they're just like, what is with this guy? Like, you know what I'm saying? But I don't love the stuff. It's like, whatever. You know, one of the, I, I did shower today. Um, she makes me do it on Sundays. But we're not supposed to love the world. You have a car, but if your car breaks down or your car gets in a wreck or your car gets stolen, whatever, man, it's just a car. You know, you're supposed to have a safe place to live, but you're not supposed to love it. There's nothing wrong with watching a little TV or having a phone or the internet or going to Disneyland or, you know, there's nothing wrong with having, you guys, it's funny is that people always want to judge what somebody else spends their money on. Like somehow there's virtue in your Pokemon. You know what I'm saying? Buy your Pokemon, man. Like, I do not care. I don't care about your fishing pole that costs $1,200 for a reel. But don't judge somebody else that's just like, I paid my bills, I paid my tithe, my family's fed, and I got an extra 100 bucks and I want to buy something. Then all of a sudden you're like, that person doesn't love Jesus. Really? Let's go through your life. Let's see what you spend your money on. You know what's funny? is I've never met somebody that lives in their car, makes $100,000 a year, and says they give away all their money. Why is that? 
because they like the virtue signal. They want to make it about everybody else, but everybody else is not doing. Yeah, yeah. Do it privately. And then all of a sudden you're doing, some, some of y'all don't know. I, man, I wish I could testify about some of the people in this church and the, the generous giving nature. And you hear people say things about these people like, man, it must be nice. I'm like, you know what, man, if you really knew how these people lay down their lives for the gospel, hey, none of your business what somebody else is doing with their stuff, man. Get your, what's funny is when you get your life right, you don't care about what other people are doing with your life. You don't care about what they have or what they're doing or what their possession is. Like, man, I'm square with God and that's where I want to be. They can answer to God for what they do and what they're about. But when you take your happiness away from the things of this world, you're just above it. Proverbs 23, four and five, it says this. It says, do not overwork to be rich because of your own understanding cease. Will you set your eyes on that which is not for riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away like an eagle towards heaven. Your GameStop stock is no longer worth what it was. (laughs) Do not put your future in Bitcoin. I'm not a stockbroker, okay? But I, but I know enough that your portfolio is not your future. The value of your house is not your future. Your bank account is not your future. It's funny, you save up money for an emergency and then you have to spend the money on the emergency thing that you saved up for and then you're mad that you have to spend the money that you saved up for your emergency. I just want to sit there and look at that stack of money. First Timothy 6, 8 and 10, this is what it says. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. Can you say that that's your heart condition? You're all clothed. Thank you. Um, and hey, go back. And then, uh, but food, I want to really get that one in there. Can you go back? Yeah. Burn it in their retinas. Food and clothing. Like really, like what, what else do you need, man? But then you start making this list like, oh, I'll stop worrying when I have this next one. Uh, verse nine, it says, but those who desire to be rich fall into a temptation and a snare and to many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. I've seen a lot of people that fall away because they seek after riches. Verse 10, uh, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, which some have strayed from, for some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. I've never seen anybody that gives it all away that falls away from God. I've seen hoarders, stingy, greedy, covetous people that fall away and love to love their riches instead of loving God. Don't get covetous of the world. None at all. Here's, uh, here's the next part of it. You worry when you look at evil. Verse 22, the lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, your, if, your, if therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, this is kind of an interesting uh, portion of scripture. It's hard to understand for some people. Uh, let me explain to you very easily is that Jesus is saying what you look at with your eyes is directly connected to how much light you have inside of your body. And so if you're feeding your eyes with evil things, the darkness will come out of your body and then other people will see that darkness because of what you feed inside of your eyes. He just got done serving, praying, fasting. It's directly connected to treasures in heaven. He talks about not laying up and then he says, and so even more than where your heart is, pay attention to what you're doing with your eyes. Don't allow your eyes to feast on things that are evil covetedness. And if you don't know what covetedness is, what that means is that's greatly desiring what somebody else has, what somebody else has. I wish I had their money. I wish I had their car, their house, their spouse, their kids, their job. 
I, I, I can't even let them enjoy what they have because I'm so filled with greed and covetedness because I'm constantly looking at things that feed this desire inside of me, this sinful desire where I can't even enjoy what I have because I envy what other people's have. And where does it come from? It comes from when you read magazines that are filled with things that are evil. It, 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 it comes when you watch television programs that take you into a fantasy world where you're now wanting or loving something else that someone else has or somebody else's life instead of your own life, right? It, it, it's, it's like, uh, yes, it's like watching, uh, uh Lifestyles of the rich and famous, right? I just dated myself, right? But, but there's YouTube videos where you can watch, you know, million dollar real estate and, and there's 12, $20 million homes. I, I can watch those things because I don't think that my life isn't good because somebody else has, you know, a $20 million house. I'm just like, wow, that's amazing. You know, like it doesn't bother me at all. But if you don't like your life and you're looking at somebody else's life, wishing that that was your life, that's going to build this sense of greed and covetedness inside of you. Like some of you that are married have a bad marriage because you're feasting your eyes on other people's spouses instead of feasting your eyes on your own spouse. All of a sudden you look at perfect spouses in the movies that don't exist or reading magazines or books with these love affairs that don't exist. And you start looking at things that you shouldn't be looking at. Then all of a sudden you look at what you have and you're like, man, why can't you do this? And why can't you be that? And why aren't you this? And all of a sudden I'm only going to keep my eyes for my spouse. And when you got nothing else, man, it's the best show in town. I I know my wife doesn't look at anything else because she still thinks I got it. Amen. She's either starves her eyes or she's the best liar. (laughs) I really enjoy, I watch, I I don't like to watch a lot of television. It bores me. Um, I I like YouTube because YouTube, you can get through stuff on three to five minute videos and then click on to the next because I got some ADHD. I'm like, just go. Uh, One of the, one of the guys I really like to watch is I like, um, I like watching this channel on supercars. Um, if you don't know what a supercar, it's like all these cars that are worth over a million dollars, like one to four million dollars. They're just, and I just think they're cool, man. Like, I think they're awesome. I think they're, you know, they're fast and they're fun. And like one of my favorite cars is a Bugatti Veyron. And, and I've like, I've completely resigned myself to the fact that I'm never going to own a Bugatti Veyron. <laughs> like just an entry used one is like probably like a million dollars. A brake job on a Bugatti Veyron is like $45,000. One tire is like eight grand on a So I'm just like, I'm never, now if you have one, you want to bless your pastor, I'll roll it. Like I'll, I, I don't, but like it's a thousand to one horsepower. Like I get to church really fast, you know? Um, but like I, I watch these videos, but I don't like go out to my car and be like, man, stupid car, not a Bugatti. You know, like I, I can watch and just enjoy it for what it is and just be like, oh man, that's cool. But if I couldn't, then I shouldn't. Because yeah. then it's just going to create a problem in my life where I can't even enjoy what I have. And, that, and that's kind of the distinction of guarding your eyes. Amen. Uh, Titus 1.15 says, To the pure all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Even their minds and their consciences are defiled. And what's funny is when you're filled with evil and you fill your eyes with evil, you think everybody else is doing evil because you're filled with evil. But when you guard your eyes, you just assume good things about other people. You have to protect your eyes if you don't want to worry. 
You've got to protect your eyes. Psalm 101.3, I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. Psalm 119.37, turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things. Job 13.1, I have made a covenant with my eyes. All of these things are filled through your eyes. And if you watch what you look at, you will have less worry in your life because you don't look at somebody else's life and wish that you had it. You look at even like somebody else's destruction. And you watch these type of shows where people lose everything and everybody dies. And you know, you're saying to your spouse, like, just leave me. Don't kill me. And don't take the insurance money. Like you just, (laughs) have you guys seen those shows? Yeah, Yeah, man. If you're worried about what your spouse is going to ice you in the middle of your night, like quit watching those shows. Commentator Clark said this, he said, an evil eye was a phrase in use among the ancient Jews to denote a envious, covetous man or disposition, a man who repined at his neighbor's prosperity, loved his own money and would do nothing in the way of charity for God's sake. Guzik said this, in any case, Jesus tells us that either our eye is directed at heavenly things and therefore full of light, or is it directed at earthly things, and therefore full of darkness? Here's the other thing that Jesus says that ends up being in worry, is that you end up worrying when you serve two masters. You end up worrying when you serve two masters. He says, no one can serve two masters, for either you will hate one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, following Jesus has been biblically described to be and will continue to be an all or nothing proposition. Jesus does not speak in nuance. He doesn't say if you feel like it, maybe and when you get around to it, and if you just give me your leftovers type of following. It is a drastic turning from the world. It is a drastic leaving of the things of this world. And it is a fully encompassing following of Jesus. And so Jesus says this, the reason why you're worrying, remember verse 25, therefore I say to you, right before that, he says, you cannot serve two masters. If you're serving the world and you're serving Jesus, it's impossible. You're going to love one and hate the other, hate one and love the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You can't serve them both. And so you have to make a decision. You have to say, you know what? Either Jesus is going to be my Lord or he's not. I I said it last week and I'll say it again. Why would you want to do a half-hearted approach to Christianity? It's not, it's, it's not like, it's not worth it, man. It's just not. God demands that you would worship him only, that you would serve him only. And this sermon that Jesus is speaking is, is receiving from Jesus. If you're disciplined and it's, it's, I love the Lord. I love what he does. He tears up everything. Pray fast, serve, don't serve money. Don't do whatever, but God will reward you openly. And then he says, all these things will be added unto you. Just serve me. Just serve me. I'm going to take care of everything. And I will tell you, man, and and I don't want to lose any of my blessings, but man, man, my wife and I have been faithful for 30. Oh, I've been faithful 30 years, but we've only married for 23. And God has blessed us, man, with some stuff. And, and, and it's just like, man, I just can't seem to outrun his blessings. I don't say that as a way of like, it was a prosperity. Like, dude, the prosperity gospel is a life in the pit of hell. It's dude. I, I told Crystal when we got married, I said, I promise you sleeping bags on the floor and top ramen. You want anything more than that? I'm not your guy. It's true. And, and I was like, you know, I I was making $600 a month when she met me. And she's like, that's the guy for me. Like I, We never said, you know, one day we're going to, we're going to get married and we're going to tithe more than we are getting paid this month. We never said that. We were just like, man, we're just going to serve God. We'll see what he does. 
And if we were still back in our, you know, apartment on Judy Lane, I'd be just fine, man. We didn't even have a washing machine in there and people would steal our laundry. It was hard times. What am I talking about? Serve Jesus only. James 4, 4. Let's throw that one up there. Adulterers and adulteresses. It's funny that the Bible uses very distinct language. When you cheat on God, it's like you're an adulterer. No one, no one likes an adulterer. Do you not know that friendship with the world is an enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Believe me, the time... Now, here's the thing, man. And I, and I want you to hear this. If you're not listening, pay attention. This will be on the test, okay? There is quickly coming a time that you are going to publicly have to declare whose team you are on. This is no longer like revelation scare tactics to improve the offering. We already took up the offering today, okay? I'm not trying to scare you uh, for any other reason except to prepare you. This is the the era that we're moving into. There's no half-hearted like, hey, we, we go to church every once in a while. Like, it's not that at all. There's literally a gentleman that's in jail today in Canada for holding church services, a pastor, because he chose together. He said, you know what? I don't care about what's going on. I'm going to, I'm going to hold church service. They said, if we let you out of jail, you're going to hold church services. He said, yes. And they said, well, we're going to keep you in jail. This is literally, this isn't like, oh, this is happening. But like, this is now. And, and so you, you've got to make a decision. You've got to say, you know what? If, and, and here's what I would say. If there's nothing associated with your faith that you're willing to die for, that's an issue. If, they, if there's nothing in your faith that you're willing to go to jail for, that's an issue. Like, there's got to be some, there's got to be a line you're not willing to cross. There's got to be a place where you're like, you know what? It's fine, but not this. Dude, I will take me. It's fine. Just take me. But I'm, but I'm not, I'm not changing this. Like, fine, off with my head. It's fine. I'm going to be with Jesus, but you are not going to coerce me, scare me, and put me in a place. I'm not going to. The time is now. Who is your master? Who are you serving? Are you serving this world? Or are you serving Jesus? Because the time is not coming. The time is now. It's now. Galatians 1.10 says to not please men, but serve God only. Romans 6.16 says to be a slave to God and him only. Matthew 4.10, Jesus says you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. So you worry when you give yourself over to worry. (laughs) That's what Jesus says. He says in verse 31, therefore do not worry. Saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear For after these things, the Gentiles seek your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. You know, what's interesting is that, and, and our church dude, and, and it's funny, I I preach what God tells me to put on our hearts, uh, put on my heart, but dude, our church is solid, man. Like we've got a bunch of loving, caring, giving, serving people in this church. And what's funny is that over this last, uh, last year, I don't know, but maybe one or two people that uh, had job changes. Everybody I know seems to like walk through this year and their bills were paid and they were taken care of and they saw manna fall from the sky and God was able to do something inside of their lives. 
And the world around is like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? And the stock market and, oh, there's this different president and this is thing going to change. Dude, I've been serving God through a lot of presidents and a lot of economic cycles. I went through the downturn of 2008. I still gained weight. Like I did it all. So why do you worry? Have you not learned that God is faithful? So here's the deal, man. Either you trust God or you don't. Either God is real or he isn't. But he is real and you should trust him. He's never failed. He won't start now. You've lost a job before. You got another one. Things have happened in your life. You got through it. There's stuff that you waited for and you uh, waited for and you waited for and then boom, God showed up. He was faithful, but you worried through the waiting and then all of a sudden you said, man, I don't understand why I had to walk through this. And God said, I was refining you through this. Jesus says, don't worry, man. Don't worry about anything. Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for nothing. He meant it, everything, nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Talk to him about what you're worried about. 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your care about him because he cares for you. Proverbs 12, 25, anxiety in the heart of man causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. Some of y'all are hopefully getting a glad heart this morning from this word. Psalm 55, 22, cast your burden on the Lord and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. Jesus said in John 14, let not your heart be troubled. Believe also in me. He meant it when he said it. What Jesus knew is that worry makes more worry. Just like warts make no wart, more warts. The more worried you are, the more worrisome you become. And, and as Christians, like, here's the deal, man. You can stack rank all your worries. Like, I'm embarrassed, or I'm not going to be fed, or I'm not going to have a place to live, or I'm going to get a flat tire. And, but the ultimate death is like, uh, the ultimate fear is like worry. I mean, death, right? You worry about like, man, that's the end. Like, if I die, then, then I'm done, done. But if you're really a Christian, you believe in eternal life, and you believe in everlasting life, then, then you actually live out what the scripture is saying. You say, death, where art thou sting? To live is Christ and to die is gain. And, and, and this year has been transformative for me. And me and Crystal talked about it, all this stuff that happened. And then we're walking through, I literally had to talk to my wife about it. I said, honey, I've got to lead this church. And back then we didn't know that, um, you know, the things that we know now. And so I said, you know what, if I die, I'm just going to have to die, but I'm not going to let our church die. I'm not, I'm going to preach the gospel. And if this is the end, then you know what, name the parking lot after me or something, but I'm not, I'm not going to, if, well, the AMC's taken. And, um, and, and so like, I, but I had to give myself over to it. Whatever, man, if this is my moment, this is my moment, man, but I'm not going to live in fear. I'm not, I'm, I'm just not going to do it. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm done worrying about it at all. Just let it be what it is, man. Life is going to be on. Life will go on. Things will be fine. You'll be in heaven. Here's the last part of it. My eighth point, if you were counting. It takes a good preacher to preach an eight-point sermon. You know what I mean? Hey, I can say that humbly. I'm more humble than you. All right, so um, you know what's really hard is that some of you don't know me as well as you do, and I'm really sarcastic. And someone that's watching online right now is like, man, who do you think? I'm just sarcastic, okay? I'm navel lint. I'm dung. It's nothing. I'm just being funny. All right, so the last uh, point, it says... Um, which is really the end of the sermon in verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. So let's put a bow around it. Jesus goes all through this whole entire thing, uh, serving, praying, fasting, treasures, eyes, 
masters, not worrying. And then he puts it all together. And the end, remember, I told you the end of the sermon at the beginning. And he says, you will not worry if you just seek after me. Just seek after God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. What you're going to wear and what you're going to eat and where you're going to live and whether your kids are going to be okay. All of that, just seek after God and he'll take care of all of those details. And it's really the secret. I, I could have just, but I wanted to bring it all together because Jesus does a masterful job of putting it all together. He says, if you serve, if you pray, if you fast, if you keep your eyes, you store up your treasures and you don't worry, you're, you're just freed up to seek the kingdom of God. And then all of these things will be added unto you. And what will be added? I don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't know exactly what all the rewards are, but I think rewards sound better than punishment and judgment. I mean, if Jesus calls them rewards, like I'll take two of them, man, that sounds great. I don't want to be in the judgment flogging line. And he'll reward you openly. And the challenge for some of you this morning is that uh, quit thinking about other people's lives and start thinking about your own life and say, man, am I seeking after Christ and his righteousness? Not because I want things. And that's where the prosperity gospel becomes so aberrant is that people seek after God and they say, man, I want a new car. I'm going to seek after God. Or I want a spouse. I'm going to seek after God. I've seen so many people pimp out God coming into this church, trying to find a spouse. And then sometimes God bless them. Then you never see him again. Like, man, God, what I wanted. Like, man, do not shame God like that at all. Don't let him set you free and not serve him. Seek after God. And then you turn around and you're like, oh my gosh, how did this happen? My car runs. I'm living safely. I got a few hundred bucks in the bank to cover a broken window, whatever. Matthew 5, 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Praise God. John six twenty seven. Let me show you what this scripture says. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the son of man will give you because God, the father has set his seal on him. It's funny, even, uh, I can talk about this forever, we're almost done, I promise. Um, even go back to fasting, right? Like you worry about food, but you train yourself for fasting, then all of a sudden, if you miss a meal, you're fine with it. The rest of the world is like, what are we going to do? Uh, well, you just eat every other day and the food that you have lasts twice as long because you've been trained in righteousness. People don't see it that way. I don't worry about if the food truck is coming. I, I literally, I've, the longest I've fasted is five days without food. Um, it's not that great. I tried to get seven. I couldn't do it. But I, I know without a doubt I can fast two or three days without eating. Even now, I usually only eat like once a day. Sometimes, I, you know, I, I live a fasting lifestyle. I don't mean that pridefully. I'm just saying like it sets you up in another, another way. Let me, let me finish this up. We'll get out of here. Psalm 34, 9 and 10. Oh, fear the Lord, you as saints. There's no want to those who fear him. Yeah. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Again, it doesn't mean that you won't suffer or go through want or go through anything, but you won't lack any good thing. And I say this knowing that some of you have been through horrible things, man, death and destruction and loss of kids and spouses and, and, and job losses and disease and cancer and all these other things that go on in your life. But God is still faithful and you will get through it. You will get through it if you're seeking God through it. You'll be able to walk through things in a way that other people have not been able to walk through it. I'm going to end with this last scripture and then we'll get out of this. You know, I, I got saved when I was uh, 15 years old and, and I have one brother and, and I love my brother to pieces. He's a, he's a great guy and, and, and I love him. He's, a, he's the unsaved version of me. 
People ask him what his religion is. And he says, my brother's a pastor. That's what he says. <laughs> um, but I don't have a, a, a spiritual relationship with my brother because he's not a Christian. We have a great relationship and we talk and I love him and there's nothing I wouldn't do for him. But there's a certain part of being a brother that you just can't share because he doesn't view the world in the same way that I view it. I, I don't pray with him and I don't read scripture with him and, and, and we don't see each other uh, but a few times a year just because things work out the way that they are. I had to make a decision early on when I got saved at 15 years old whether or not I was going to do the things that my brother was going to do or I was going to do things that God caused me to do. And I made a decision. I said, man, if it costs me my relationship with my brother, which it, it has spiritually, but not really physically. I mean, I love my brother, but it costs, right? Yeah. I walk away from that relationship with my brother. Let me show you the scripture in Mark. So Jesus says this. He says, so, 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 I, so Jesus answered and said, surely I say to you, there's no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake in the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands, with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. Jesus meant what he said when he said it. The things that you get from following Jesus far outweigh the things that you leave. I literally have over a hundred brothers at this church. You guys are my, and and girls like, man, no man, listen, man, I hang out with the dudes. That's just how I roll. I love y'all. You're my sisters, but I love my, I love my brothers. And I got over a hundred of them, man walk away from my one brother and say, I'm going to serve God. And God says, you know what? I'm going to give you a hundred brothers in this life. Guys that understand you and love you and want to be in relationship with you. And I love you and I understand you. I want to be in relationship with you as well. And that's how the economy of God works. You walk away from that, which the world provides. You say, I'm going to walk with God and God gives it back to you a hundredfold return now in this lifetime. So don't worry. Okay. Just seek after God. Pray, fast, serve, no two masters, get your eyes right. Don't worry. Seek after God. Worry's gone with your life. Amen. 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 Would you close your eyes? Would you bow your heads? If you're here this morning, you're not a Christian. We'd like to invite you to become one. It's really quite easy. Either you're a Christian or you are not. Either you've given your life to Jesus or you haven't. And if you've never Giving your life to Jesus. If you've never said, I want to be saved from my sins. I want to walk with Jesus. You've never made that decision before. I want to encourage you to make that decision today. And it's really quite easy. You just say, man, I, I need Jesus. I need, I need to be forgiven and I want to walk with him. And this isn't some sort of superstition. You don't, you don't say, I want to become a Christian that you go back and live your life. This is a direction change in your life. And so if you'd like to become a Christian today, we want to pray with you. I'd like you to raise your hand right now and say, that's me. I want to become a Christian. Is there anybody that needs to make that decision for the very first time? Don't miss this moment. And maybe you've been far from God. Maybe you made a decision before, months or years ago, or you've just been like, man, pastor, I needed this message today because I have been lost for a long, long time. Not a bad week. I'm talking about you're lost, lost like, man, I just want to come back to Jesus. I want to rededicate my life to him. I want to be all about that. I I need one master. I need one Lord. I need one direction. And you're ready to come back to Jesus. We want to pray with you as well. Would you raise your hand right now if you want to rededicate your life to Jesus, if you want to give your life to him? I see that hand. Thank you, Lord. If you'd like to walk up here, someone will pray with you if you'd like. Proud of you, Pastor Kevin. 
Lord Marcus, you're right here. Martin Deacon, right here. Would you help this gentleman here, please? I tell you, man, coming back to Jesus sometimes is harder than the first step. Don't let this moment pass. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. It's worth it to see God move. More souls to bring Him glory. If you're worried, if you are a worrier this morning, confess that sin to Jesus. Father, we pray that we would not be a church, that we would not be a people that would worry. God, that we live out the disciplines that you describe in the Bible so that we would learn to not worry. And if we begin to worry, we're going to confess it, we're going to talk to you about it, and we're not going to worry. Father, we're going to seek after you and your righteousness because we know that you're going to take care of all the details of our life. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.